today we were supposed to talk to Evan Silva and go deep, breaking down the, the series of bad moves, the disaster that has become the Houston Texans. That's next. That's the next podcast on Roto Underworld Radio, the Mind of Mansion show. I sit down with Evan Silva. I'm excited for that. I know you're excited for that. The whole world, the whole sports world, literally sports, world, not just fantasy football, the sports world. Is very, 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 very excited for that takedown pod with Evan Silva. Real talk about the Texans, Bill O'Brien, oh, Bob McNair, the word steroids might be used, the word racism might come up. Yeah! But Evan needs more time. He needs more time. He's doing research. He's calling friends in the industry that cover the Texans. He's going deep. He's going as deep as he's ever gone. Deeper than he went with the Browns. Deeper than he went even with the Giants. So I'm excited, but we need more time. We need more time. This is me filibustering, being a gracious host for Evan Silva, posting a monologue show. It's just me today. No guest. No problem. I'm not going to not do a show. We're not going to have an empty feed for the remainder of the week. No, we need to give you content. And oh, I have content. And, 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 and Evan has indirectly helped create the content for this show as well because he's part of this Twitter invitational Superflex best ball startup with me, hosted by Ryan McDowell. It's the highest profile dynasty startup that you'll ever see. Certainly this year, you're not going to find a more high-profile cast of characters than what we have in this league. Starts with Matthew Barry. He is the, the the biggest indisputed personality in the business. He blots out the sun. Like he he is the sun. The rest of us are just in orbit. That that's the 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 audience disparity between Matthew Barry and the rest of us, especially in Dynasty. Come on, Dynasty's a a little a little dwarf planet. Ryan McDowell, he's the host. He's in the league as well. Scott Fish, Jake Seeley, heard of that guy? Rich Rebar, heard of that guy? Uh, J.J. Zacharyson, right? Pat Thorman, Graham Barfield, the aforementioned Evan Silva, Scott Barrett, and uh, Peter Overzets. I don't know why he's in there, but he's in there too. For comic relief, we always have to have a Peter Overzet in the league. <laughs> oh, burn, Peter, burn! Feel the burn! Feel the burn, Peter. He's actually doing really well. I mean, everyone's doing well. He's he's had a great draft. Peter Overzet has uh, Alvin Kamara and DJ Moore. How can you argue with that? How can you can't? You can't argue with that. It's great. I only have one player. And, and so we should start at the beginning. I only have one player. It's Joe Mixon. But let's rewind even further back, all the way back to the beginning. JJ didn't waste any time. Christian McCaffrey. And then Rich Rebar did a thing. Rich Rebar did a thing, and I've been DMing with Rich Rebar throughout. I've been DMing with Rich Rebar and Ryan McDowell throughout this draft. So just just so you know who I am in constant communication with in this draft, it is Rich Rebar and it is Ryan McDowell. Looking at this list between Scott Fish, Ryan McDowell, and Rich Rebar, I believe those are the three that have the most dynasty experience. And Ryan McDowell more than any. I mean, Ryan McDowell, it's not even close, right? He is the trendsetter. He is the thought leader. The rest of us are just trying to 
you know, carve out a little bit of space, a little niche here, a little niche there, but it's really all about Ryan McDowell. So I'm obviously in constant communication with him, making sure that he tells me like real talk. I'm like, be honest, Ryan, where should I take this guy? (laughs) No, I'm not saying I'm not asking those questions, but there are, there are some, some, the mechanics of the draft questions that I, uh, that I have asked Ryan and, uh, and with Rich, when I saw him trade down, I was like, oh, here we go. Here's someone that, that knows the optimal strategy for these things. Uh-oh. And then his first pick, Josh Jacobs, in the second round, I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. He knows. He knows. And then Rich's, Rich's second pick off the board was Miles Sanders. And I was like, oh, oh, oh no. No, don't do it, Rich. And then his third pick was Nick Chubb. And I was like, oh, God, God, God damn it, God. And the reason why is it's possible that you have no doppelgangers in a draft that no one has your strategy. It's very possible that you could be in a startup with zero other robust RB drafters. You know me to be a robust RB drafter. If you've listened to enough Sonic Truth podcasts, you know me to be a robust RB drafter. And so to see a guy not only trade out of the first round, also go robust RB in a super flex league in particular, it was just it was the dagger. Like it was, it was like a dagger. It was like one of those assassins where they dagger, I'm cut all over. I'm bleeding out. I got my liver. He got everything. Stabbed me five times. I didn't even realize what was happening. And so I was, I was disappointed. Well, at first I was like, great, great value getting Josh Jacobs. So value of the draft, Josh Jacobs to Rich Rebar at pick 22. Okay, pick 22. Rich got Josh Jacobs, which is incredible value considering he's 22 years old, right? Yeah, it makes sense. Coincidence? You call it coincidence, I call it irony. Who's right? Probably not the guy that said irony. Coincidentally, also 22 years old, and, and Josh Jacobs is the number five overall player in non-superflex, in non-superflex that we have on the Dynasty rankings, playerprofiler.com forward slash player rankings, and he's number eight in superflex. So if we have a number eight in superflex and Rich gets him at 22, oh, oh <laughs> that's value. That's, 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 that's as good as it gets. That's as good as it gets. And, and, then, and then for him to, to come back over the top and pick 27 and go, Miles Sanders, that's just as good. I mean, that it's tied, really. But I, when I DM'd him, I was just like, congrats on the value. You're great. You know what you're doing. I got Joe Mixon at pick 15. You got Jacobs at 22. <laughs> I cede the floor to you, sir. <laughs> got the better value. It's like I didn't try to trade down. I tried to trade down. I was at talks with two different guys about trading out a, a pick 15. Couldn't do it. Had to pick my guy, Joe Mixon. We have Joe Mixon 7 in Superflex. Yes, and Superflex, yes, because you have Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes, Kyler Murray, they're top five with Saquon and McCaffrey. That's an easy top five. That's the top five right there. McCaffrey, Barkley, Jackson, Mahomes, Murray. Okay, that's the top five in Superflex. Don't give me Michael Thomas. Don't give me Ezekiel Elliott. Get out of here. Get out of here with all that. And he was on the clock, and he's like, well, watch what I'm about to do. And I was like, no, I don't want to watch. I'm probably going to be disappointed because you're probably going to take guys I would just as soon draft at pick 34, if they somehow make it, but go ahead, disappoint me, Rich. And then he, he did the thing. He went boom, boom. He went Chubb. He went Miles Sanders. And it was just like, oh, my God. My God. This guy. Too good. 
You know, it was just too good. I was like, I was like, okay, we have another RB drafter in the house. This is gonna fucking suck, right? He shot his ammunition, and I can't get Miles Sanders. I thought there was a non-zero chance I could get Miles Sanders at thirty-four. Basically, once Miles Sanders goes off the board, you need to start considering taking picks. So before we get into this, where the picks go, I will give you the rundown of the draft. So again, JJ at one with Christian McCaffrey. Rich trades back to the end of the second round. Scott Barrett trades up, gets Lamar Jackson. It's interesting. Scott Barrett has Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson. Very few super flex teams in the world have Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. So I'm fascinated to see how it goes and how Scott Barrett drafts from here on out. Pat Thorman has just been going by the book. So you love to see that. You love to see a guy go by the book, and he's had a great draft too. I mean, Saquon Barkley at four, and that's that's great value right there. That's great value. He's got Amari Cooper on his team. He's got Saquon Barkley, and he's got Juju Smith-Schuster. So it's super solid roster for Pat Thorman. Graham Barfield, Michael Thomas, Jake Seeley, Ezekiel Elliott. I would have gone Kyler Murray there, actually. As much as I love the robust RB, in that particular situation, I would have gone Kyler Murray. And in fact, Ryan McDowell went ahead and traded up. And I have never seen Ryan McDowell trade up. It's a rare thing that he trades up. But he went and traded up with Peter Overzet. So Peter Overzet's trading down smart. He's drafting Kamara, and he's drafting DJ Moore with a trade down. So Peter Overzet, incredible job. Incredible job. We kid because we care, Peter. We kid because we care. And we're, we're fellow comedians, so we can do that. We're, we're comedians. Ryan McDowell moves up to get Kyler Murray because there was great value there. And then Scott Fish went to Deshaun Watson, Matthew Berry, Dalvin Cook. Here we go. I mean, we're going straight down the rankings. I mean, everyone's doing a great job. And then I got into a talk with Matthew Berry about my pick, my 110. He wanted it. He wanted it because I think he really wanted a quarterback. He really wanted a running back. He wanted those two cornerstone assets, and I understand why. It's super flex. That logic is very understandable. I have a bunch of teams with either Dak or Russell Wilson. Super flex or two quarterback leagues. Anyone that's in a patron league with me knows that my teams usually have either Russell Wilson or Dak Prescott or Kyler Murray. Actually, those are my three most popular quarterbacks. Other than Teddy Bridgewater and Terod Taylor, which I now have everywhere. That's another story. We'll talk about it later. But I've decided that it's robust RB for me. And it, it it's not just super flex. It's it's really every league. I'm also in a in a mock draft. So there's a mock draft. Shout out to Sean Wasco, my man Sean Wasco, hosting mock drafts now. So we're gonna have mock draft data at playerprofiler.com. Look out for that, baby. And we're developing a new module. I guess this, now is the time. Let's just talk about it. We're developing a new module. And here's the thing. The module is going to be $40. And if you have the all-in, you know what it's going to cost? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Zero. Zero. Right? So now you get $120 of value for $85 if you go all-in. Soon you'll be getting $160 of value for $85. Think about it. Think about it. Think about it. Because we're just trying to create value. I was like, ah, you know what? Money's tighter for people. Let's ratchet up the value. The module is called Dynasty Deluxe. You will have your dynasty rankings. It'll have your rookie rankings. It'll have something called a Dynasty Draft Planner, which is going to be great. It's going to have 
an NFL big board which aggregates scouting services across the board, 10 different scouting services to give you average draft pick slots, projected draft pick slots for all prospects. That's actually going to feed into the breakout finder next year so that we can include a proxy for draft capital in our pre-draft breakout ratings. So that's the reason why we did this, because I was frustrated by the breakout finder not knowing that Jerry Judy was likely a first round pick. And so I said, we just need a proxy for this. So we went out and got 10 different services, you know, draft tech and draft countdown and, and draft site and draft everything, every, you know, whatever, even Walter football. Yes. So we got, we got all their rankings and mock drafts. We, we put them all together. We give you some, some interesting insights on players that are, that are perceived to go higher than I thought and lower than I thought. And I'm sure I'll talk about to Nate about it on a future Sonic Truth podcast. And there's going to be a mock draft tool. So we're going to have mock draft ADP juxtaposed with FFPC ADP. And if you have the all-in package, you know you get a free roll over at the FFPC. You have to be new, not available to those that already have FFPC accounts. But if you're new to the FFPC, email me, podfather at rotowonderworld.com, and I will send you a voucher for a best ball free roll or a $35 dynasty startup voucher. I'm in a dynasty startup right now. And before the draft even starts, there's jockeying and trading down. They're very active, very engaging, very fun drafts over there at the FFPC. And you can make a lot of money. They have high stakes. It's not just, you know, the lower stakes versions. The lowest stakes is $77 buy-in. There are $500 buy-ins. And if you leverage our data, I think it's going to be a moneymaker for you as well. Because there is a lot of value to be harvested in these drafts as time and time and time and time again, dynasty leaguers overvalue, especially the wide receiver position in traditional leagues. They overvalue quarterbacks and super flex, and they overvalue tight ends and tight end premium. And time and time and time again, running backs, especially the young workhorse backs like a Josh Jacobs are undervalued. And whether it's using our rankings whether it's using the Dynasty Dominator, whether it's using the NFL Draft Big Board, whether it's our draft planner we're rolling out. There's a lot of resources for you to help you actually make money. Dynasty's fun, right? Dynasty's more like, hey, it's fun. Hey, it's fun. Dynasty's fun. Dynasty's keep you, keep you interested all year round. They're fun. They're fun. But at the FFPC, the beauty is you can make real money if you know the right counterintuitive moves to make, not only trading down, but also what players at what positions give you an advantage, give you a strategic advantage. When you're looking at opportunity costs on a round-by-round -round basis, you're incentivized to go running back early. In this, in this ADP uh, mock draft, which is going to power our ADP tool, this mock draft hosted by Sean Wasco, I went RB times five and then wide receiver times five. Why not? Why not? I started Jonathan Taylor, then Josh Jacobs, then Leonard Fournette, then I overdrafted Darius Geis. I didn't know. I should have checked his, his FFPC ADP. I, I didn't do that. It was my mistake. But uh, Darius Geis is hugely undervalued. Maybe the most undervalued asset in all of Dynasty. I overdrafted him in round four, but I got bailed out. Marlon Max slipped to the end of round five in this mock. So I started RB times five. And then I went Jerry Judy, Marquise Brown, Jarvis Landry, LaVisca Chenault, Nicole Hardman. And, and that's not even best ball. Like those are great best ball receivers. It's not even best ball, but it doesn't matter to me. I'm looking for wide receivers that are not 
in their super prime. You don't want the wide receivers in their super prime. They're often overvalued. If you can get wide receivers in their first two years, Jerry Judy, we're getting in on him early. His value is likely to rise. Marquise Brown, value likely to rise. Jarvis Landry's on the other side of A.J. Pex. All right, they've soured on him. Okay, fine. You've soured on Jarvis Landry. I'll take him. He's just a consistent producer. And then a LaVisca Chenault, McCole Harbin, these are upside plays. And so what you'll end up seeing is I might have twice as many wide receivers on my dynasty roster as running backs because I'm just upside, 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 upside at wide receiver. Upside, 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 upside. And then high floor, stable, high opportunity share running backs, and then upside receivers. Now, that's exaggerated in a best ball scenario. So in this Twitter Invitational hosted by Ryan McDowell, that's a best ball league. And it's so best ball. And this is the reason why I love it. It's so best ball. You can't even trade in season. So there's the lack of trading in season is the best. I hate in season trades. In fact, in these patron leagues, I just assume turn off in season trades because they cause more angst than they're worth because you, you have people tanking mid season and swinging the balance of power. And it's the overactive owners, the hyperactive owners that are putting out trade offers constantly. They had this huge advantage on owners like me that have a life that are in 10 leagues that aren't logging in every day that aren't submitting trade offers. I put guys on the block, but I don't have time to submit trade offers. Come on, man. I'm super busy. So the, the best ball league is much better for me because I don't have to worry about being the front runner in early November. And then my competitor goes out and acquires a couple veterans for nothing from players that are tanking and then use those veterans to surpass me in the standings and win the league. And I'm sitting there going, okay, maybe I could have made some similar moves, but I don't have the time for that. Well, neither does Matthew Barry. <laughs> you know, neither does JJ, neither does Evan Silva. So we solved that problem amongst us by saying, hey, it's not only best ball. I mean, fuck submitting your lineup every week. Get the hell out of here. Not only that, fuck trades. Get trades out of here, man. They're not worth it. I find that in-season trades create more harm and discontent in a league than they do harmony. And we have them because they supposedly create more engagement. I question that. I question that. It's typically a couple overactive owners who should be doing other things with their lives, constantly submitting lowball offers. That's what I've found. That's what I've found with especially the in-season trades. It incentivizes a handful of bored people to bother everybody else and to extract some micro advantages, particularly late in the season, and they might gain a position or two in the standings because of it. Congratulations. Congratulations. Right? Like, fuck you. Right? No trades solves that problem. So if you thought that my traditional league-wide receivers in rounds 6 through 10 were boom-bust, oh, Get a load of the receivers I'm going to draft in Ryan McDowell's Twitter Invitational. It's going to be special. Like, it's going to be special. Marquise Brown, Miko Hartman, come on down, baby. Dynasty leagues incentivize robust RB starts more than a traditional seasonal league. Now, in a seasonal league, you're going to want to invest in wide receivers because you need to know you're going to get steady production especially your wide receiver one slot in a traditional league. So you're incentivized to invest in the wide receiver position, at least nominally. In a best ball league, and in Dynasty in particular, you're better off waiting even longer to draft your first wide receiver than you are in 
a traditional seasonal league. In fact, in traditional seasonal leagues are the only times of even considering drafting wide receiver in rounds two, three, four. I would rarely do it unless there's incredible value falling to me in dynasty. And the same is true for best ball leagues. Seasonal best ball leagues, I want running back centric early rounds. So RB heavy gives you the flexibility to draft more wide receivers. The beauty is in best ball, you can wait on wide receiver. And then the entire back half of your draft can just be stacked with Mecole Hardman type wide receivers. The position is so deep that you can just go, just keep flipping the card over every round. Wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver. We talked to Mike Beers, the preeminent expert in best ball leagues. And this is his strategy. He's just creating a super stable, high opportunity share, low risk RB core early. Knowing that the running backs you draft late are hugely speculative. Many of them will never get meaningful touches. Think about Damian Harris or even Justice Hill. We thought they had upside. We thought they were great best ball plays. They'll eventually get opportunities. They'll be boom weeks. Those boom weeks never happened. But if you're drafting the number three wide receiver in a particular offense, the boom weeks are going to be there. Randall Cobb, he had his boom weeks last year. These players will have their boom weeks. Even a Taylor Gabriel, you know, the furthest extent of this principle, right? The far end of that spectrum. Even he had a couple boom weeks. He helped you. He made it into your best ball lineups in a handful of weeks. But that wasn't the case with fringe running backs. Oh, Mike Davis. Oh, Dexter Williams. There's so many. You go down the list. They, they didn't give you anything. So often the late round running back gives you absolutely nothing in best ball leagues. So you're incentivized to hoard those running backs early and create a running back heavy roster and then just... Never stop. Pedal down on wide receiver. And I'm already doing that in Dynasty anyway. That's my general strategy for Dynasty roster construction is to create that that tightly wound, concise core of running backs. We just only, you only need four or five, right? You just need four or five reliable workhorse backs and then 15 wide receivers. And of those 15 wide receivers, you're going to get a handful out of that basket that you can start every week. That's my general approach to Dynasty. Now, when it's a best ball Dynasty League, that strategy can be put on steroids, where I can't even consider a wide receiver now. I would never. I would never. I would never. I can't say never, okay? If a DJ Moore or a Chris Godwin fell to me, I would consider them. At the 310, pick 34, if I'm staring at a DJ Moore, if I'm staring at a Chris Godwin, okay, Okay, you twist my arm. Okay, you got me. You got me. Okay, never say never. Never say never. Fine. Okay? But but after those guys, the value vanishes quite quickly. And there's huge disagreements on Twitter about the valuations on Devontae Adams and on DeAndre Hopkins on the Dynasty Dominator on our on our rankings. Hey, does it make sense? You guys are way too low. You guys are way too low. You guys are way too low. No, we're not. Lifetime value is based on the value over stream of a player the last three years and where they currently sit on the age-adjusted production curve based on their age. And then we add an uncertainty quotient. Now, I will freely admit that Devontae Adams looks like an incredibly stable dynasty asset at this time. We have him as a top 12 dynasty asset, even though he's a year past the age apex and we're still how many months away from the season happening? He's going to be past age 27.5 when the season starts. 
So he's going to be closer to age 30 than he is age 25 when the season starts. Think about that. And every mock draft I read, including Evan Silva's, has Green Bay drafting a wide receiver early. Whether it be Justin Jefferson, whether it be Denzel Mims, every mock draft I open, I see Green Bay getting an alpha wide receiver. Well, guess what? Devontae Adams has been a volume-fueled monster the last few years. He's been competing with Randall Cobb and Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Geronimo Allison for targets, where Alan Lazard has emerged as a guy you're playing in DFS. Think about that. You're talking yourself into him in best ball leagues and in dynasty. Hey, this guy is a future. Alan Lazard? Why? Why is that conversation happening? Why? Because there's no one else. Because it's been Jimmy Graham who could maybe get a red zone target instead of Devontae Adams these past two, three years. It's like no competition. None. And he's never been one of these super efficient wide receivers. He's been largely volume dependent. Like, Devontae Adams is a compiler just like Mike Evans, except that Devontae Adams doesn't have the Mike Evans special skill. Like, Mike Evans is the best bully receiver in the league. If you're going to throw the ball up, you want Mike Evans to go up and try to get it because he's the most likely to come down with it of all the wide receivers in the NFL. There's no special skill that you could say, oh, Devontae Adams, he's the guy I want running this route. No. Double move? Amari Cooper. Slant route, A.J. Brown. Go route, Tyreek Hill. Bubble screen, D.J. Moore. Out route, Michael Thomas. I mean, I can just name routes, and you're never going to say Devontae Adams. Because he's not a truly special playmaker. He's just not. He's just not. This, he was one of the least efficient wide receivers for the first two and a half seasons of his career, at least. And then he turned it around. He happened to also turn it around at a time when they had nothing left. No other options. But now they might get an alpha who has a redundant skill set. Now, if the Packers go out and they get Henry Ruggs, that's great. If they get Henry Ruggs... Devontae Adams, his lifetime value, our assumptions around him, his target share probably goes up. We've got, we got to move him up. But if they get Mims, or they get CeeDee Lamb, or they get Justin Jefferson, where do you think Devontae Adams is going to be a year from now in Dynasty? Where is he going to be two years from now? Because that's the thing. That's the thing that, that really is stunning to me. It's Dynasty. It's not seasonal. Like, I get it. Seasonal, you want Devontae Adams. You want Hopkins. You're happy to get Le'Veon Bell, right? Tom Brady, he's an interesting late-round guy in seasonal leagues. Yeah, right? Drew Brees, sure, yes. But in Dynasty, where you have these guys for their careers, and these guys are already past their prime, the post-prime wide receiver who is still at the top of his sport is the most overvalued asset in Dynasty. Rich Rebar came on the show and talked about the moment when you need to sell Julio Jones, the moment when he was looking to trade Calvin Johnson. And on and on and on and on. You can go back through time. Demarius Thomas. There's a moment when it's like, these guys have a couple years left. Even though they're going to be productive for a couple years, they're not going to be as productive. There's a reason why the age-adjusted production curve peaks at age 26.5. There's a reason why. Because forces start to work against these receivers after they turn 26.5. Whether it's injury, whether it's just a, a slight lack of of quick twitch and explosiveness, whether it's target competition, in the case of Devontae Adams, things, the gears of the NFL start to work against these receivers once they peak. 
a dynasty leaguer still talks himself into it. It's like, oh, I still got a couple years of his prime left. I may not have this dynasty league team in 2022. Well, maybe, maybe not. 2022 matters. It absolutely matters. There's a reason why Saquon Barkley is significantly more valuable in dynasty than Ezekiel Elliott because he's a year and a half younger. And that year and a half for running backs really matters. They have a few years where they can produce at their peak. And then the decline happens quickly where the age adjusted production curve for the wide receiver looks like this. It's up and then it gradually comes down at 26.5. For running backs, the age apex is 24.5 and it's steeper. It's a steeper slope going up and a steeper decline going down. That's why you need to get these running backs on their rookie contracts. Or if you believe they are moving into a workhorse role on an ascending offense and about to win an extension, like an Ezekiel Elliott. Did you want to draft Ezekiel Elliott in Dynasty last year? Absolutely. Because you know he is age 24, age 25, and age 26 seasons ahead of him. Peak, peak, peak performance. Look at Le'Veon Bell. He led the NFL in opportunity share at age 26. Age 27? Were there any 27-year-old running backs that finished in the top 10 last year? Can you name one? Anybody? There were no 27-year-old RB1s in the NFL last year. So if if you're going to draft Derrick Henry, realize that he's going to be 26 when the season starts. So a lot of that value is gone. It's already gone. It feels like he just arrived, but it's already gone. That's how fleeting it is. And when wide receivers are a couple years older than that, 28-year-old wide receiver is in the same position. It goes a little less quickly. They have a little more time. But Hopkins is going to be 28. And we're just not high enough on Hopkins. How can you not have him higher? He should be a top 15 asset. He's going top 10 in FFPC Dynasty Leagues. And that, to me, is not a reason to question our process. It's an exploitable market inefficiency. It's beautiful that a past-peak wide receiver would go top 10. It's a beautiful thing. It, it means more valuable players are going to be moved down the board for me. More value for me. More value for Rich Rebar. Well, thank you very much. The oldest running back of the three running backs that Rich Rebar drafted, 24 years old. That's how you do it. That's how you, do it. you build around a nucleus of three to four stud backs, and you can piece together an excellent starting lineup. And that's in a traditional dynasty league where you're setting your lineup. Imagine best ball. Where you can just load up on wide receivers. Like the entire back half of the draft is all wide receivers. And you're just going to hope on any given week that you you get a a boom performance. And if you have enough of these guys, you'll get your boom performances. It's not a problem. You'll get a boom performance from Marvin Jones. You'll get a bunch of boom performances from Marvin Jones. And Marvin Jones is going to be available late. You'll get boom performances from Will Fuller. You'll get boom performances from Sammy Watkins. He was the... Number one wide receiver in week one last year, Sammy Watkins, over 40 fantasy points. Sure helped your best ball team, didn't he? In that week. In that week. Not, 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 a, not a great asset overall, but in that one week. It's pretty good. Think McCole Hardman's going to help your, your best ball team? Think Marquise Brown's going to help your best ball team? Yeah. You know what? There are even guys like Corey Davis. Corey Davis. I think he'll help best ball teams. I don't want to start Corey Davis. I wouldn't draft him in a seasonal league, but he could help my best ball team. He's going to be the starter, and he has size and athleticism. Paris Campbell. Think Paris Campbell's going to be expensive? No, he's not expensive. Even Curtis Samuel. Curtis Samuel, oh, well. Even Robbie Anderson. Why not both Robbie Anderson and Curtis Samuel? Oh, well, Teddy Bridgewater. 
you know, low target depth. Get Teddy Bridgewater too. It's super flex. I hope my quarterback, my super flex quarterback, my QB2 is someone like Teddy Bridgewater. That's the move. That's the move. They don't have to be expensive. You can get starters, especially those surrounded by great weapons, whether it be Terod Taylor, Teddy Bridgewater. They're going to be available late. Now, in proper two quarterback, I would want a stable QB1, a Matt Ryan, a Kirk Cousins, a Matthew Stafford. The Lions are trying to trade down right now. They're committed to Matthew Stafford. They don't act like they are. They don't say they are. But their actions reveal that they are committed to Matthew Stafford. And Matthew Stafford has been a productive quarterback. I'm planning to target Matthew Stafford in this Twitter invitational. But am I targeting him now? Am I looking to draft him now? Of course not. Of course not. I traded with Matthew Barry. He approached me and he said, listen, I want to get my my cornerstone assets and I can't decide. What are we going to do? We got to do a deal. So I asked for his third rounder and he said no. And then he said, well, but my fourth rounder. And I said, well, your fourth rounder is pretty good. It's pick 40. And then what's interesting is he was the 109. I'm the 110, which means in the third round, I pick right after him. And then I pick right before him in the fourth round. So actually to move from his third rounder to his fourth rounder, there's really only four slots, four picks that could select a player that I may have wanted. So to me, I'm like, okay, well, it's really four slots that I'm seeding. So Trade me your third rounder in 2021 in addition to your first rounder. And we had a deal. It was that easy. Did I want to get the third rounder? Yeah. Could I have pounded the table for the third rounder and not got the third in the rookie draft? Sure. Yeah, I could have pounded the table for his 309. But would you seed four slots in the late 30s of a startup to get a third rounder in 2021? I would. I would. The problem is that those picks... Pick 35, 36, 37, 38. That's Ryan McDowell, Evan Silva, Evan Silva, Ryan McDowell. <laughs> Damn it! So I'm worried that I'll be sniped in those four picks. But, you know, I sleep well at night knowing that I also got a third rounder out of it. And and that's the goal is to try to approach the draft from a humble perspective. I've been in enough startups that I know that I'm going to fuck this thing up. It's going to go wrong. I'm going to pick the wrong guys. I know it. It happens every year. And me acknowledging that I'm going to be bad at this, at projecting exactly where these guys are going to finish next year and the year after and the year after for their careers, some of these guys are going to flame out in spectacular fashion and I'll never see it coming. And some other guys are going to come out of nowhere and be amazing and I'll never see that coming. But acknowledging that allows you to trade down, knowing that it's possible that the guy I gave up at the 109 won't outproduce the guy I end up drafting at the 404. Is it likely? No. Is it possible? Absolutely. And the idea that I can know for certain that I'll be able to navigate that in an optimal fashion, I mean, it, it, it's not it. I mean, I, there was a time when I thought I could. There was a time when I thought that I could virtually guarantee you that I would, I would draft a much more productive player at slot nine than at slot 40. But now, now that I've been in so many startups, <sighs> I just want to trade down. I don't even want those problems. I don't want to do that to myself. It's too much pressure because I know... Whatever I think I'm getting, it, it, it may not work out. So knowing that I don't know what's going to happen gives me the confidence to trade down. So I do the trade with Matthew Barry. He goes Dalvin Cook, then Dak Prescott, Peter Overzet. After the trade down, you uh, give up his, his 107. He traded down, got the 111, took Alvin Kamara, great pick. Evan Silva double-tapped wide receiver, Tyree Kill. 
great pick. Devontae Adams, less great for the reasons we talked about. And then it was Ryan McDowell and then me, and, and I was really thinking to myself, well, Ryan, I've talked to him enough. I have a feeling he's going to go mixing, and that's who I wanted, but maybe not. Maybe not. And, and to me, it, was, it wasn't a big deal because if he did go mixing, no problem. I'll just go 101. I'll, I'll take, that's Jonathan Taylor, right? I want Jonathan Taylor. Bad. Maybe, maybe there was a debate there between Jonathan Taylor and Josh Jacobs, but because it's best ball, I felt like you know, the, the consistency you're getting with, with Josh Jacobs is nullified a bit, and, and the boom potential is emphasized with Jonathan Taylor. So I thought, oh, you know what? I'm going to go Jonathan Taylor here. I'm going to go 101, expecting him to go mixing. And then Ryan McDowell did what Ryan McDowell does, which is fucking kill it. And he went 101. I was like, no, you did it. And I was a bit disappointed. Because I knew that I was going to do it anyway, probably break the seal. But the case I was making in my head, had he gone mixing, and then I ended up going mixing after he took the 101, but had he gone mixing, I may have gone Jacobs in order to prevent the seal from being broken on these picks. Because you can pick the rookie picks in the draft, I wanted that seal to be locked for as long as possible. And what ended up happening was is Ryan broke the seal, and the problem is it was it was Ryan that broke it. And because he's the most well-respected Dynasty League player in the draft, him going rookie 101 put that possibility in everyone's head that you could go, you could go rookie pick here. Now's when these picks start going, guys. So that was disappointing because... My plan is to execute a very similar strategy to Rich Rebar, but to do it with 2020 first rounders as opposed to young running backs like Miles Sanders and Josh Jacobs. Whereas Rich is going to be building around 2019 top running backs, I'll be building around 2020 top running backs. Well, that's my plan. So let's see if it plays out. Let's see when the picks start going. So after Mixon, Matthew Berry went DeAndre Hopkins. Scott Fish went George Kittle, Graham Barfield went Chris Godwin, Jake Seeley, Russell Wilson, Peter Overzet, DJ Moore, Pat Thorman, Juju Smith-Schuster, and this is where Rich took uh, Josh Jacobs, then he went right back to Nick Chubb. JJ took AJ Brown and Mike Evans. Mike Evans curious there because Mike Evans has passed the AJ Pex as well, and there's now quarterback uncertainty, and there's target competition in the form of Juju, I mean, in, in the form of Chris Godwin. So that was interesting to me. I wasn't sure if that was the way to go. We have Mike Evans as the 14th ranked wide receiver. And when I say he's past the age apex, I mean, he just passed it. He's age 26.6. So he's going into his age 27 season. He's in his super prime. He's been one of the most steady producers at the position. And the argument that I believe JJ would make is in a best ball scenario, Mike Evans and his volatility is is what you're embracing. I hadn't thought about it until now. Now that I'm thinking it through and I'm talking it through, I now understand why J.J. went Mike Evans there. Scott Barrett went the 102. So if you think about it, it wasn't until slot 26 that the 102 went off the board. Whew, right? If you, we didn't have a run on picks. Because after Scott Barrett went 102, Rich went Miles Sanders, again, with the incredible value. I mean, Rich may have the two best value picks in the whole draft with Josh Jacobs and Miles Sanders. Pat Thorman, Amari Cooper, also incredible value. Graham Barfield went Carson Wentz, and Jake Seeley went Travis Kelsey. So now there's three picks up between me and the 103. We want the 103, right? We want, 
We want DeAndre Swift. The beauty is at this point, it's either going to be Swift or it's going to be Dobbins. My guess is we're not going to see two picks go off the board between now and when I pick. The question is, what is Ryan going to do and what is Evan going to do? Evan already has two receivers. So there is a strong possibility that his path to running back is a pick, a rookie pick. So I can see him going a rookie pick, but I also can see him going quarterback because he doesn't have a quarterback. Ryan McDowell does have a quarterback. Ryan McDowell has essentially the 101 and Kyler Murray. So Ryan McDowell may go wide receiver. Evan may go quarterback, but each of them could also grab a pick. So let's say one pick goes between now and my pick. I go 103. If Evan grabs a pick and Ryan grabs a pick, then I would grab the 106. And if you think about what the 106 is in a super flex league, it's a member of Mount Rushmore. At the very least, it appears that I will get a J.K. Dobbins and a Cam Akers to go with Joe Mixon, the ultimate running back nucleus to go head-to-head with our Lord and Savior, Mr. Rich Rebar. 